Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 253. With that number, I want to give a shout out to the new hashtag for Rain FC this year. That would be hashtag Rain253, which refers to Tacoma's area code. The Rain have already sold more tickets to their next home game on July 28th than their largest ever crowd in club history. So way to go, Rain fans. And same can be said for Chicago Red Stars, who will set a new record for a standalone home game this Sunday when they host North Carolina on ESPN2. All right, two chats today. First, spoke with Chelsea Bush, contributor for Equalizer Soccer. Kind of like a get caught up on NWSL chat following all the Women's World Cup coverage I've been doing. And then to kind of wrap up the Women's World Cup coverage, spoke with Sophie Lawson, who's based in the UK and who provided an incredible amount of freelance coverage on the ground at the Women's World Cup in France this summer. Kind of wanted to get the European perspective on the tournament. So enjoy these two chats. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Chelsea Bush, contributor for Equalizer Soccer and also one of the regular hosts of the Equalizer Soccer podcast. Chelsea, my favorite fellow Texan, um, we got to watch uh, some NWSL together this weekend. So I thought, hey, let's let me get Chelsea back on the podcast to get everybody caught up with NWSL because I really haven't been talking about on the podcast lately. So all right, Chelsea, you got to you got to give me highlights and lowlights, and of course, let's start with the highlights. I think the first highlight that pops to my mind is Mitch Purse for Portland. She hadn't really been getting a ton of playing time before a lot of their starters left for the World Cup, and I think I would say probably across the league is is one of the ones who's really stepped up and made the most of her time on the pitch. And now that the players are coming back, I'm really curious to see how Mark Parsons kind of still gets the best from her and still gets her enough time to make an impact on the pitch. While at the same time, you know, obviously recognizing that he has other players he wants to be playing. And and I think that's going to be the biggest challenge that we're going to see uh, most of the coaches deal with this weekend is you've got your, your big names coming back. You've had some people step up and really perform while they've been gone. Um, So, you know, how, how do you adjust that lineup? do you just put all the World Cup players back in or do you slowly wean some back in? I mean, we've, we've seen already a little bit where, like the Australians returning um, to Portland, like somewhere playing immediately. Same, same for the Brazilians on Orlando. It was pretty clear that, that Marta was like, damn it, I want to play. You know, so, so it, in some cases it's just player by player decision. But I've loved watching Midge Purse's performances the last, what, six, seven weeks she had. Um, before this past weekend's game, she had five goals in a stretch of six games. She got another one, um, you know, th- this weekend in a crazy 4-3 match. I think that, that was a great way for NWSL to kick off its uh, ESPN <laughs> tenure. Yes, yes, um, absolutely. Especially with it being just, and not just the fact that it was such a high-scoring game, but like the two stoppage time goals, like the very late wildness of it is perfect. And not only just that, and in the crowd in Portland, like that is just a perfect TV game in my opinion. I loved that. 
And to see the new the new venue in Portland, which yeah, I had seen it on the streams, and obviously we were there last fall for the playoff games where you had that one side being constructed. But the first shot when they showed it on the TV screen, I was like, wait, what stadium is this? <laughs> it's like, oh wow, that you know, that new deck on that far side, that's huge. You know, so I'm I'm looking forward to at a certain point we know that's gonna sell out which means that Portland will set uh, the all-time regular season uh, attendance record, which I'm sure some people might be surprised they don't have already, but that that Orlando home opener at the Citrus Bowl back in 2016 still has that that title. Yeah. We'll also talk about, um, you know, what else really stood out for you? I mean, highlights in, in this stretch. I mean, I, I was kind of pleased to see Seattle kind of stage a little bit of a, a little bit of a turnaround. They, they seem like they had a long stretch of ties and then we're finally getting some W's. Yeah. I have to say, I think that the black Coast kind of leading my thoughts for, for coach of the year, just for what he's done and, and you know, having such a slow start for the rain and then turning it around and getting the best out of players like, you know, say Bethany Balser has been kind of a revelation to us and right. dealing with, with losing, you know, Jess Fishlock, Megan Rapino for, for a time that kind of, he just, I mean, their injury list is insane right now, right? But Jasmine Spencer, Steph Catley, now Lydia Williams has it. Yeah, I, they, I think they must have already set a record for size of injury list and number of goalkeepers signed. Yeah, right. And then just, and, and I'm talking about Casey Murphy. Oh my goodness. Like she, what, I mean, she's been playing out insane and she's been, I think we all knew that she was talented, but, you know, for those that didn't watch her in college or with the, the youth international teams, didn't really know what she was capable of. And I just think she's been playing out of her mind and there was no way that she was going to give up that starting job, even if Williams hadn't gotten injured, which unfortunately kind of seems to be this, the story of Lydia Williams and WSL career. But I, I just, I really <laughs> like what he's, yeah, I really like what he's done with the reign of kind of just, and that's, that's black coach to a T, right? Like getting the best out of players that, that you maybe wouldn't have, have thought much of otherwise. And so even though he's still had all these injuries, I think he's still pulling together. You start to see a very coherent team that's just playing a specific style. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do when they get like Ali Long, Megan Rapino back in the mix too. And then yesterday was just like Seattle rain news day. Um, <laughs> with the old Monday news this- drop. I know. So they, they, they picked up Sammy Joe Prudhomme from the spirit sending Elise Kellen Knight over there. Cause obviously with Lydia Williams injuries and Scott Watson, uh, an, you know, another emergency keeper, but who ended up getting injured and then signing, uh, Rebecca Quinn coming back from, from Paris FC. And then who else am I missing? Wasn't there one other? Um, I, I think that was just one more. Dome for for Kellen Knight and then Quinn. I want to say that was it. But it was just like, wow, you know, you, you, you can't you can't leave Lacko alone for a minute. He's just going to keep making moves. He's never going to throw in the towel. And players that you thought, oh, it was Skylar Debris, that's who. They signed Skylar Debris. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's yeah. Um, and obviously this is the window for a lot of those people. If they've been playing in Europe, this is when they can, they can come back. You know, so it reminds me a little bit of, of Vlatko in the draft. And obviously he didn't get to draft anybody this year. So I think this is like the equivalent to Vlatko's draft. 
Yeah, I remember, I think it was Dan Laletta, like, betting that he couldn't go the entire draft without drafting someone. Like, he was going to make a trade and get himself back in. And it was surprising. But I'm, I'm really curious to see what he does with Rebecca Quinn. I don't think she obviously did not have her best year with the Washington Spirit last year. Didn't maybe have the greatest of, of World Cups, but I don't think particularly anyone from Canada was just outstanding. Um, but she shows a lot of promise with Canada and then before when she was at uh, Duke. So I, I'm curious to see where he plays it, first of all, that whole defender midfielder kind of kind of thing, and then what he can get out of her. Yeah. And then speaking of another Seattle coach, per se, not no longer with Seattle, but um, – and I, I should say the rain, but Laura Harvey, at, you know, Utah. Um, I've been a little surprised that Utah seemed to start with a bang and it seems like the offense has kind of slowed a bit. Yeah. It, this, that's kind of been their, their whole issue from, from the get go, right? Like they've generally been pretty defensively sound no matter who's back there, but they started and, and, it was funny to me that I thought when Kristen Press left that Amy Rodriguez really took off because that's kind of been right. the big question for Utah is can she make those two mesh? And we hadn't really seen it yet, but then I was like, okay, well, now A-Rod's doing it. Maybe when Press comes back, they can finally not be you know, oil and water. But then I think Rodriguez fell off. And, and I just don't know that they have – like Katie Single's fine, but she's not – she shouldn't be your top scorer. Right. It's not you're not going to be getting enough if she's your top scorer, which I believe she was last season. And I, I think Jan Sauter has not been as, as strong this year as, as she was. She, she's a lot of energy, but doesn't maybe quite provide the service and creativity coming out of midfield that they need. And Vero, I think, has been really good for them, but not obviously not you know playing recently. So right. I I don't know. I, I still think that I still think the issue is probably still somewhat in the midfield kind of like it was last year and with maybe started off being solved with Vera, but now that if you don't have her, like who's going to be that creative force that sort of like string pulling number 10, I look at their roster. I'm not sure I see someone else. And they haven't had Diana Matheson all season. She's been out injured and she would have, if she wasn't injured, she would have been out for the world cup stretch. Um, and I kind of wonder, you know, what that's lost too, because, you know, she had some assists and goals last year, you know, she's, she's got a lot of hustle. Um, but like you said, if she's not there, you know, that person isn't doing it. Vero, Vero not being on the field, you know, um, that, that's got a struggle and, and talking of struggles. I mean, we kind of have to go to, you know, my hometown team, um, the dash, it's been really frustrating um, that like, it's not that they're not playing well, they're not playing well enough of the game, as weird as that sounds. But tell me how it looks from your little bit more outside perspective. Yeah, I was one of the ones that pegged the dash to maybe, maybe not make it in the playoffs, but make like a sneaky run at it and be better this year. And and particularly during this period, I thought they were really going to pick up points, even though I knew they were losing, you know, the Canadians, Australians, Rachel Daly, that they had enough depth for once to really, to really make it deep. I just, it's not so much a depth issue. You just look at their starters. I mean, I think Huerta has been underperforming. No matter, she's played a different, couple of different positions, but it really hasn't produced. I think Ojai has been underperforming, and I think she's kind of, for my, in my opinion, not been the same since her ACL. Just that that turn and accelerate is just not quite what it used to be. Um, so I think you're, 
and we saw this in the beginning of the season. They were scoring goals, but they weren't scoring as many goals. They were creating chances. They just could not finish. I mean, one goal right. is never going to do it. And right. You, you combine that with some, some defensive breakdowns, which has kind of always been the Dash's Achilles heel, right? Like, I think that Jen Campbell's been mostly good, not not great every game, but mostly pretty good. She's made some really good saves, and she's had a couple of mistakes. But she can't save everything. And right. just, I think and that when you, you need to well, do something about their central defense. And when you think of last game that they held Sam Kerr, you know, and the only goal they gave up was a rocket from distance. You know, there wasn't anything getting in, in the box. And, you know, you were there at that game. It's like, especially I would say the last 15 minutes, it seemed like it was, you know, all dash. Um, it didn't seem, you know, I, I don't remember Jane having yeah. a, a lot to do, but if you can't finish, you know, it's, you're, you're not going to get the result that you want. Um, so what I think what's going to be really interesting for the dash is Rachel Daly is finally back this weekend. Technically she was back last weekend, but had to sit out the second game of her red card suspension that she, she got, um, playing against Utah all those weeks ago. So, uh, you know, she's a game changer. Um, I just, you know, I, I want to see someone else step up and, and be a game changer as well. Yeah. And I'm just not seeing that on their roster, like Huerta, Ojai, they should be out there scoring goals, creating more goals, finishing off like the passing's just poor in the final third. And they're, they're just not, I thought that, Simon is bringing like a lot of energy and she's creating some things. I just don't think she's going to be your finisher. And I just, it can't all rest on Rachel Daly to make something happen. I think that's kind of what they're, if Rachel Daly was on the field against Chicago, they would at least have gotten a point, right? Like I I think that she can do that for you, but she can't, she can't be the only one. You look at the top teams, you look at North Carolina, rain, Portland, at any given time, you're going to have, two, three, four people who can step up and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to make this, this happen. I mean, even for Orlando, you have Marta who's kind of just dragging the team along with her at this point in time. Like, right. You, right. You, you need more than one person. And right now, no one on Houston is telling me they're going to be that person. And, you know, we, we've seen a lot of these teams ebb and flow. Everybody will have bad stretches. I mean, before that win, against Orlando Sunday, Portland had gone scoreless in their last two games at home. They hadn't been scoreless at home in over three years, you know? So, you know, you don't have to take it as, okay, we're halfway through the season and things aren't going well. I guess it's over. It's it's like, no, I I think, like you said, you need that Marta. That's like, I don't care that I'm too down on the road. I'm not done. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to put this team on my back and and do what I can. And you know, we were we were treated to an amazing Portland Orlando match Saturday, and and I kind of feel like we've started to see that from Sky Blue. Um, I I don't want to believe that it's just because Denise Reddy's gone, but I think perhaps because she left, you you have the players maybe going okay you know, this can't get any worse. We've hit rock bottom. Let's come together. And, you know, and so the, the joy and energy that they were playing with when they played at Chicago uh, the previous weekend, um, I didn't get to see that game live. So I went back and watched it after I saw the score 
oh, like, wow, that was an electric game. Yeah, I think you see most teams do that after you have uh, a midseason coaching change. There's always a reason for it. It's never just, you know, right. my time here is done. There's always a reason, whatever that right. is. But right, right. We see teams play with a little bit more freedom and a little bit more more fun than they have been just because some of that stress is lifted. I don't, I don't think no, that's going to uh, – how far that's going to carry them. Right. Um, Right, I just, but it, but at least it's going to be at least it's going to be that temporary burst. I mean, same as when the Dash exactly. got rid of of Randy Waldrum in 2017. Exactly. They went on a nice yeah. kind of kind of mini run after that. And I think it was really great to see Sky Blue continue that at home. Um, you know, for the for, for the sake of the fans and also to have that. You know, I, I had to go back and look. When's the last time they had back to back wins? You know. And it was almost almost two years ago. So yeah. it's always nice to see some of those streaks come to an end. <laughs> yeah, it also really, really helps that they have Kaylin Sheridan back in it. I mean, no offense to Didi Harris. Yes. Sheridan can be unreal at times for them. And I think every good team has to start with a strong goalkeeper. So at least they have that. Yes. Yes. I think she had seven or eight saves in that 2-1 road win uh, at, at Chicago. Um, so any last thoughts or um people you want to highlight, uh, you know, for end of yourself for the last five or six weeks stretch that end of yourself has kind of had to play a second fiddle to women's world cup. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting kind of balancing the two and, and seeing the difference in, in the quality and then the game you're watching, you know, there'll be some weekends, especially on the, the world cup was still in the group stage where it's like, you watch like six games in a, in a, I know. In a, in a weekend day and it's, it kind of all starts to run together. Um, I still go back to Portland. I think Portland impressed me the much that they've kind of been floating around mid table, but to see them kind of make a rise, Mitch Percy and Simone Charlie had some really good moments, particularly with Mitch Purse. Gabby Seiler has been doing really well. Yes. Yes. I think that Parsons has been doing good about bringing things out of players that either rookies or ones who just have kind of been sitting on the bench. Um, So kudos, kudos to them for sure. And then Kristen Hamilton, we have to give a shout out to Kristen Hamilton. Four oh goals God. in one game, Kristen three Hamilton. goals in another game, and then she assisted uh, the game winner last weekend. I mean, she, just like Mitch Purse, she presents that problem for Paul Riley of, okay, all my big name Women's World Cup champs are coming back, but this player's on fire. You know, um, yeah. and that's a great problem yeah. to have, you know, but but that that's got to that's got to be a challenge. Um, one of the things that I really appreciated about this women's World Cup stretch compared to 2015 is one, any replacement players were being paid. That's huge. Two, our rosters were much larger than they were in 2015. So 2015, your roster max was 20 players. This year, it's 22 plus up to four supplemental players, not to be confused with the national team replacement players. So that means 26 paid players who are with your team training all the time. They're not training whenever they can because you can't pay them. No, they're paid the minimum salary. They're provided housing. They have insurance, relocation fees, per diem, all that stuff. They can comfortably train with you. And I think we've seen the difference in quality of play because of that. And I also feel like this stretch has been a coming out party for all of those 2018 draftees like Gabby Seiler, 
who didn't really get a shot last year because the rosters were so condensed after the, uh, after Boston folded, you know, so that all the existing players basically took, you know, the, the, the shots at, at, at getting on, getting on the field in 2018. So I, I love that, you know, there was some really good play. There were no time conflicts with the Women's World Cup. Unlike 2015, I clearly remember calling a dash game at the same time that Canada kicked off the World Cup and just being really pissed that, like, these games should not be played at the same time. This is completely wonderful. Yeah. You know? Um, and so what do you think, um, rather, who do you think will be the players coming back from the World Cup? And now we're really just talking about the U.S. national teamers because almost everybody else has, has come back and played. Um, who do you think is going to go on to have like a killer second half of the 2019 regular season? Oh, that's that's interesting. Um, (laughs) I think that Crystal Dunn will be very happy to get back to being an attacker. So kind of be able to unleash that part of her without having to worry about constantly hustling back and and recovering. Yes. I I think Sam Mewis was one of – the U.S. best, most consistent players at the World Cup, and I see that continuing. I think she's going to slide right in North Carolina and just keep doing what she's doing. Um, and then, uh, if she can stay healthy, Roosevelt. I didn't think we saw her consistently at her best in the World Cup. She had some really good moments. Obviously, she scored in the final, but I think we also saw her struggle a little bit whenever the U.S. was forced to play deeper. She's not right. as defensively minded as a player that she struggled to keep possession when she was in her own own half. But I think that she's going to go to make a Washington team better. We got to see her evolve. It, it seemed like like she yeah I think she, she struggled, but she bit. but she but she like gained something from from each struggle. I read a, a fun article with her that Soccer America had was talking about when she was in college and her coach kept calling her out for her fancy tricks. And she's like, what's wrong with that? She's like, don't do it in our defensive third. (laughs) (laughs) That's for offense. That's not for, that's not for defense. And, and spirit barely got to see her last year. Same for Pew. I think they're both healthier than they've ever been. And they're returning to a squad that's in a really positive place you know, so I'm really looking forward to see what's what's going to happen with them. And like you mentioned, Sam Mewis, I feel like Sam Mewis dominated 2017. She played every game for, for the Courage, every game for the U.S. national team, was so huge that year. We didn't see her as much in 2018 because she had some off-season surgery. It took a while to get back. You know, it seemed like she had lost her place in the national team. So it was kind of a relief this spring to see her be incorporated more. And then, you know, just to see her get that time in in the World Cup. Like, you almost have to remind yourself that that was her first World Cup. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. to see players kind of, when it comes to the national team in particular, the kind of rise and fall and be affected so much by injuries. I mean, I think we all yeah. expected Lindsay Horan to play more this World Cup, but Mewis gets the nod in the opening match, uh, right? Because I think Horan was, was kind of being rested. They were kind of just concerned about, I think, a, was it a quad? Something something very, very... Right, hard. right. And then Mewis just 
is has been was so consistently good that it was just getting that you couldn't make the argument to sit her out. I don't think anyone coming to this World Cup expected to see more of Sam Mewis than you did of Lindsay Horan, and it's all just the timing of an injury. Yeah, totally, totally, and and that's what I, I did appreciate that we saw some roster rotation in the World Cup, and of course, I'm getting off topic, but that like was related to how people are playing or or having the advantage that the U S has being able to rest somebody, but the person coming off the bench to replace you is really just as as dominant, you know? So coming back to NWSL, I, I am very much looking forward to seeing um, Samantha Mewis, Lavelle. I'm really curious to see uh, if Portland puts French back in the goal immediately or, or keeps Eckerstrom who until this, this four, three bonanza last weekend was, you know, looking really, really strong in goal. Um, and, you know, I, I would think obviously listen air Ashland and, and Harris kind of walk back into their, their, their starting lineups, but it's going to be this weekend is going to be injected with a whole new level of steroids for, <laughs> for end of yourself play. So yeah, those of you listening, sure. if you weren't already planning on watching, you should watch and you should watch all four games, not just the one that's on ESPN two uh, Sunday, but it's, it's going to be awesome. Well, Chelsea, thanks so much for taking the time to, to talk end of yourself. And thanks for all your coverage of NWSL. Um, Cause I, I, I want to believe that more people are starting to look up, um, you know, coverage of it. And it's so great to see the players, the national team players themselves saying, keep watching us, you know, um, and the hashtag, you know, won't stop, won't stop watching. So I bet they'll end up Googling a lot of your stories, Chelsea. Well, I hope so. Thank you so much for having me on, Jen. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Sophie Lawson, freelance soccer reporter who, Spent the whole Women's World Cup and probably a little bit more than, than those five weeks over in France, uh, covering the beautiful game from many different angles, writing for, I saw, Equalizer Soccer and also SB Nation and I think a few other. But Sophie, I mean, first hats off for for working that tournament basically as a freelancer the whole time. I mean, I, I want to hear some of the tidbits of, of how you were able to survive that. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure that I did. Um, <laughs> there's, there's definitely a theory that I didn't make it out alive, but yes, thank you. <laughs> and how did you get involved um, covering women's soccer professionally? Oh, it's it's very it's very boring. Um, I stumbled across the 2015 Women's World Cup, decided to watch it on TV, uh, sought out my local uh, WSL teams, uh, started going to games. Thought, oh, you know what? I'm going to write about about these games. Started blogging. Someone said, hey, do you want to come write for us? Uh, I said, okay. And they said, yeah, by the way, it doesn't pay. And I said, that's yeah, fine. Um, and then. <laughs> Thing. I mean, it, I very quickly started uh, covering a lot of ground and just, I mean, head first, deep end of the pool. But um, it's it's been fun. And do you think being based in the UK, it's made it perhaps a little easier to cover many different parts 
sports, the women's games where, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how much can you get games from other leagues in Europe on TV or via streaming from where you um, are? Via, via streaming, some legally, some more questionably is, is definitely possible. Um, but that that would be as that'd be, that'd be true in any country in the world, uh, really. Right. But um, say so I I because tra- I travel around and, and do go to other countries in Europe, um, and London has a lot of cheap a lot of airports with a cheap. Um, I think and I know Americans have their their cheap airlines, but I I, I found some really 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 cheap ones um, that, that fly around <laughs> from London, so that definitely helps. So going into this tournament, which teams did you think were going to really compete for the title? And then looking back, who surprised you most of the European teams? Well, I, I I flip back and forth, but there there is um, audio of me somewhere on the BBC saying I thought the US would win and Sweden would surprise people. So I think I kind of came out of that one all right. Um, but uh, I think Italy, I, I thought they had a good tour. They could do something, but I wasn't expecting them to have the, the tournament they did. But I think everyone mostly performed as expected, though. I was impressed um, that we ended up with seven of eight quarterfinalists from UEFA, though part of that, I think, was just weaker Japan um, and, and China teams than, than we've seen before. And, uh, you know, a, a, an Australia team that just didn't meet their potential. But I also feel like, well, it's not like Italy made the quarterfinals because they didn't play well, you know, or because the other team didn't play well. It's, 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 it was, as we've said before, it's one of the most competitive tournaments we've ever seen. Um, and one of the things I thought was a little strange uh, once we passed the quarterfinals, and it meant that Germany, the defending Olympic champ, isn't going to the Olympics. France isn't going to the Olympics. I was a little surprised to see uh, the outcry from some former U.S. stars saying, come on, UEFA, you need to have Olympic qualifying. You shouldn't base it on the World Cup. There needs to be Olympic qualifying. And I found that really strange based on everything I've I've learned about um, UEFA's support of the women's game in the last years, where here's the only confederation that does full-blown women's World Cup qualifying that lasts more than a year, you know, also has an incredible club competition, you know, has their own regional competition that also has qualifying that last year so um just so that i don't sound crazy explain to to my listeners most of whom i believe are american-based um you know why why uefa doesn't need olympic qualifying unless you completely disagree that um no, I, I i think that the system works fine and there isn't time uh, we we have a, you know you've got four seasons. Uh, if you look at um, say the Spanish league, um, that's that's a long season. That that that's uh, sixteen teams in that league plus you know tournaments. They get a tiny break over Christmas, but you you interweave that with um, a, a window in January, which I think um, FIFA are taking you anyway. And then you've got the the Algarve Cup, which is or the Cyprus Cup or the She Believes or which of that one that is, and you've got your summer tournaments, as well as all your your um, windows all the year through for uh, Euro qualification or World Cup qualification. That 
I, I just I don't know where you'd put um, qualification for for the Olympics. And I think you know if you do get to the the, the World Cup, one you've got to qualify for the World Cup. That's that's a, a process that takes its time. If you then you know reach the the last eight or last, you become uh, you're, you're one of the last three European teams standing. That generally means that you are one of the best three European uh, teams in Europe. Um, so it, it, it only makes sense to me that you'd have those those teams go to the, the Olympics. It, you know what we've seen from France. I don't think they'd have a good Olympics. Uh, I think Germany is still too transitional. Uh, so, you know, it, it it makes sense to me uh, the way the way that we do it. Well, and and I'm I'm glad that it's not the way say what they used to do for the men's world cup that the defending champion used to always get an automatic berth to the next tournament. And they did away with that once they started like, you know, France wins in 98 can't get out of the group stage in 2002. Um, so sure. Germany was the defending champ in 2016, but this is 2019 tournaments, 2020. It doesn't mean it's the same people. Um, sure. France is a great team, whatever, you want to define great as, but if you don't win in the predetermined qualifying, you know, way, then, then you don't win. And I think it takes something away from Netherlands, um, sorry, Sweden beating Germany, uh, you know, which I, I think it's been, it had been decades since they had beat Germany in, in a major, in a competitive match. Um, yeah, uh, that, that's, many, that's huge. Like they earned it. So they, yeah, yeah, they absolutely did. Um, and if you know, if you talk about Germany having changed since Rio uh, twenty sixteen, they're on their third manager. Um, I, granted, one was was um, purely in for the interim, but they're 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 a different beast. They're trying to they're playing in a different way. They're playing with different people, different people behind the scenes. It's you know it, it does if if you had them there as the champions, then there's got to be or you've got to have the same team then. Um, but uh, yeah, I think when you when you look at Sweden, they're they're a great tournament team, and it doesn't matter how badly they pay, they performed uh, the twenty fifteen World Cup. Now, they had the chance to to qualify through the one off playoff because everything that happened with Team GB in England, and then they went on and 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 they they reached the final. So I you know I think however you do it, people are always going to say, oh, it's a shame that they're not there. It's a shame they're not there. But you've yeah. only got three away for teams. There's there's an abundance of talent in in the um, in the confederation, and you, people do miss out. And I'm okay with the Olympics being a smaller tournament. I, I don't think anything should compete with the World Cup. And I also feel that I might much rather see growth uh, from the confederations in terms of developing full blown championships the way that UEFA has the women's Euro, you know, and the next one will be 2021 in England. I would much rather see development along, along that way. Um, but let's, let's get back to the, the women's world cup. Um, I want to get your thoughts on Netherlands making their first ever final and just their second women's world cup appearance, um, especially after winning the Euro in 2017. Um, I, I thought they had, an okay tournament this summer. Uh, they got lucky at the points, especially against Japan. Uh, probably best not to get into the uh, the new handballs. Uh, but uh, they, at no point did they really kick into gear or wow me. Whereas if you look at them, the Euros, 
every match they just got that little bit better. Um, the crowds swelled and everything just kind of mounted towards them, them winning the 2017 Euros. Whereas this summer, at no point did they, they look like they'd, they'd win the World Cup. And I, I thought the way they set up in the final was actually probably brilliant. I think one of their best performances. But you can't you can't concede a penalty like that and, and expect to, to to win to win the World Cup. Yeah, and I had I like you, I had spoken to the BBC during the tournament and uh, spoke with them before the final and I, I said the key is gonna be can they hold US scoreless for at least the first 20, 30 minutes and, and they were able to do it uh, for sixty minutes. But you're right with that penalty, you can see that penalty that that takes a lot of wind out of your sails and then that amazing Rose Lavelle goal less than 10 minutes later and it's basically game over but that being said I was so pleased that it was a competitive final uh, because you know um, I know some U.S. fans would love to see another drubbing of a team in the final where you know you win 4-1 or 5-0 or something like that it's just to it's to me, it's not as good for the game and it's not nearly as fun to watch as something that, you know, that was a nail biter. You know, it wasn't, wasn't until Rose got that goal in the 69th minute that you're like, okay, <laughs> like they should be able to pull this off. Um, but let's also talk about the, the two other semifinalists. You obviously didn't make the final, but went on to meet in the third place game, Sweden versus England, England making the third place game for the second straight world cup. Um, Sweden, pulling off a win over England after England had one of their goals called back. Who did you have in that game before, you know, before it happened? Who did you think was going to win that, that game? Um, from, from a logical point of view, I thought England would have it um, a day extra rest. They, they played 90 minutes whereas Sweden played 120. I thought that uh, Sweden wouldn't have it in their legs, but uh, they, they came out firing. So. And who, who to to you are the 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 breakout stars of this tournament um, from UEFA teams? That is not you know not USA, not not Australia or Brazil or Africans, but uh, you know the European stars who maybe maybe people weren't very aware of them beforehand, but they should be now. It's 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 tough for me because I'm kind of just buried in UEFA stuff. But um... <laughs> everybody, you want to say everybody's name. Yeah, I, I, to, to me that they, that no one said, "Oh, hi, hi, I, I'm, I'm good, I'm, I'm here." Um, you don't know me, uh, but I think players like Aaron Cuthbert uh, for, for for Scotland, who came in uh, into the tournament after a really great season with Chelsea, or um, I think someone like uh, Uli Gvin uh, for, for Germany, who who did win Young Player of the Tournament, even though she was playing in defence and she's a midfielder. She's she's a player with with fantastic potential. Um, I think she's definitely one for the future, and there are a lot of players in that Germany team that could could really go far. Um, I think you look at someone like another young player, um, Madeleine Janogi, who came on for for Sweden right. against Chile, who scored their second goal. I, I think there are loads of little players like that who they're known if you follow the league or you've got a vague idea, but you just don't get to appreciate them on the world stage until they get to a World Cup. And then England having two players in those awards as well with Ellen White getting the bronze ball, no, bronze boot, I think, and Lucy Bronze getting the silver ball. 
Uh, yeah. So basically second best MVP. Um, thoughts on their performances? Um, I, 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 I've, I've got, I've got a soft spot for Ellen White and she, she, she's, uh, she's been up and down over the last few years. Uh, I think from memory, she scored an absolutely blinding goal against Japan in 2011. Um, but since she had an ACL injury, she broke her collarbone and each major injury seems to, to shift about. So she did her ACL, then she wasn't particularly that good as a player, then she broke her collar and she came back all firing on all cylinders. Um, she's had her injury issues, but she's she had a, a fantastic tournament, I thought. And um, I was sat with, with Caitlin Murray uh, doing a bit for the BBC and uh, we got asked, you know, would you rather have Megan Rapinoe on your team or would you ha- rather have Ellen White? And she said Megan Rapinoe. Wow. That's a tough question. I think I'd rather have Ellen White. Uh, just from 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 their their performances uh, this, this summer, I thought Rapinoe, yes, was, was, was the MVP, but I think a lot of that is is about her, her charisma um, and everything that's happening off the pitch. Whereas I thought White just was was there scoring goals and and doing bits, but that's that is just my my opinion. Um, I I don't want loads of angry Americans in my Twitter <laughs> mentions when I say that because uh, I have a lot of respect, a lot of respect for Megan Rapinoe. But, um, yeah, well, I, and, I, I, and I, that and that's a really tough question, and I, I'm sure I'm sure that that's why they asked it because those players do bring different, you know different things to the game. And I think what Rapino brings to USA is definitely something different than what Ellen's bringing to, to England. But one of the things that really impressed me with, with Ellen White is that it's, it's not like she had one or two games where she really shown, but her consistency throughout the tournament. Absolutely. She's, um, she, she's a great finisher and she's, I think maybe has a slight reputation as a poacher, but if you, if you watch her movement, uh, you know, she's, she, she knows what to do and she works very, very hard and maybe one side or another of a toenail, she's pretty good about judging off sides as well. So, <laughs> and, and you, and you have to be that good now, now that you've got VAR, it's, it, it's gotta be pinpoint accuracy. But only at major tournaments. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, you mentioned Lucy Bronze. I think she's uh, has been been said by Phil Neville a lot that she is the best right back in the world. But he's also then played her in midfield, so it gets a little confusing sometimes. But she's yeah, she she's a fantastic uh, right back, and she's now won the Champions League with Lyon a couple of times, and she's. She again is very an industrial player, and she loves to attack and get forward. But maybe, maybe sometimes, and again, it's personal criticism. But I think maybe since joining Leon, she's lost a tiny bit of that attack, of that um, defensive edge, I should say, as she's grown a bit more as an attacker. But that, that's 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 a quibble. That's a nitpick. So what what do you think is going to happen now the the rest of this year in terms of women's football in in Europe? We'll have the beginning of qualifying for the women's Euro. We'll start, I think, with the October dates, um, and then of course you've got all your club fixtures starting off in in August. Um, you know what what signs have you seen uh, that are telling you that's just going to keep 
getting bigger and better? Um, I think when you, when you look at the, uh, the, the um, TV viewerships, Mm-hmm. I think that that's that's a great indication that whereas you might have had apathy or you weren't really aware of women's football before, it has been you know brought to, to the fore, especially in England where there has been a lot of coverage of of, of the national team. You know, you've seen again rec- records in in Italy, and the the team definitely helped themselves out there. You know, stuff like that I think will always always help, but. It, the, the problem is always, and, and you'll know this in America as well, with the exception of the Thorns, is about how how you get that interest from the national team and how you transfer it over to the domestic league. And you'll have that boom, as, as we have already seen uh, with, with uh, this weekend's fixtures, that you'll have you know, a higher, high number of people in the crowds, but it's how you sustain that and how you keep growing that. And at the moment, I'm not sure where we're going in, in Europe with that, unfortunately. Oh, I did love that the FAWSL released uh, the fixtures, you know, right during the end of the hoopla, the Women's World Cup. So you can kind of ride that wave. And of course, seeing all of the viewership numbers and and most especially the all the tabloid coverage, which I saw some Americans like, oh, my gosh, they're being so mean. They're being so cruel. Like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's being covered by the tabloids. That means women's football has arrived. <laughs> like the tabloids are not going to put you on the cover unless they think you're going to sell. <laughs> you know, so that that was neat to see, like that whole, you know, higher level of, of engagement, and and not just England, but we saw with the Netherlands. I read that eighty percent of possible viewers in the Netherlands, we're watching the Netherlands-Sweden semifinal. You know, it's like, that's, that's huge. You know, they're, they're, they're interested. Um, and, but like you said, how do you keep sustaining it? And that's one of the things I, I feel like Europe has an advantage over the other confederations where all these countries have leagues. They're wildly different levels of leagues, but there's an infrastructure that's already in place, right? And they're all pretty... Um, moderate sizes geographically, where I think one of the one of the ways that the U.S. is always going to struggle, and and we've seen this with MLS too, it's just so spread out that the league has to hit a pretty large number of teams to help regional rivalries develop and to break into a very saturated sports sports market. Where I feel like Europe football is already the dominant sport. So it's, it's something that, you know, once you can get people over the hurdle of it's women's football, they'll just, you know, we've seen more, more attention paid to it. Well, I think it, it depends where you, where you go. If you look at um, countries like uh, Sweden and, and Norway, there's always been that, that stronger culture. Uh, towards women's sports, and it's just right. it's a little, you know, it's a little more progressive. And there were there were the um, images of how many came out in in Gothenburg for the parade when they came back after winning the, uh, the bronze medal, and reminiscent of the crowds when they came back from Rio with with the silver, which is you know lovely. And they did have um, when we were at uh, the the Friends Arena in one of their last matches, and not their last match before the World Cup, they had a, a record there. Um, and I think part of that was how it was marketed. It was marketed as they would uh, the Swedish men's team. I think that's that's an important thing 
as well as is not devaluing the product you have. I think that's again kind of where the Netherlands has done well because they they were selling out stadiums at the Euros and every match they have hosted since has been a sellout. It doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter when, they they pack the place. You know, but those numbers, you know, I, I was at the Euros, then I was at a, an Eredivisie game in, in December and it was it was a tiny crowd. And I know the Eredivisie isn't maybe the, the best league in Europe, but mm-hmm. it, it felt like a massive disconnect between the national team and the, the domestic league. But so say that is that is a definitely a, a problem that, that persists. Uh, but it's it's a little different no matter where you, where you go in Europe you get slightly different cultures and 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 and, and stuff and uh, so one of the places that's quite worrying to me is Germany because when you look at the uh, the attendance figures for the Frauen Bundesliga they they've slowly declined over over the last few years and there's there's good football being played in Germany even if you're not talking about uh, professional teams there is still good football being played. There will always be good football being played, but you'd think German fans would be into that, but they're unfortunately not. And it's something, something has to be done there to improve it. And I wonder if if that's where, when you have such a dominant men's team, that that does sometimes hurt uh, the women's team. And especially with maybe the Germany team last summer in Moscow, not getting out of their group that, you know, all the focus is, is on that. Um, and especially, you know, when the women's team has been in transition, like you mentioned with, you know, three different coaches. So yeah, it is, you know, I, I shouldn't generalize and say, Oh, all of Europe's better, but I feel like there's so many more, uh, spots of potential because you do have all these leagues in each country, um, that have, an existing infrastructure where I think about CONCACAF, like Panama's league is in its second year. Mexico's league is in its third year. You know, Canada doesn't have a league and depends on the players going abroad or, or playing in the U S you know, so much, so much progress to be made, but we can talk about that forever, but I'm not going to, not going to hold you on the phone forever. But Sophie, any last, last thoughts on women's world cup 2019? Um, it it somehow seemed to last about a week and about ten years at the same time. It was <laughs> it, it was it was brutal, but um, it was it was interesting and it it really was the, uh, the 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 biggest in terms of the most watched. And at the end of the day, I think that's that's the, the important thing is 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 growing growing the game like that. And, uh, yay! Well, uh, thank yes. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat and and keep up the the hard work and the, the good work covering women's football. Thank you. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. As mentioned before, there will be five match days for the Women's World Cup Victory Tour. The first will be Saturday, August 3rd at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. The Women's World Cup champs will face Ireland in a friendly. Now, that date does not fall on a FIFA date, which means, yes, it conflicts with the NWSL season. Don't get me started. But the other four dates on the Victory Tour do not conflict with the NWSL season. And you can mark your calendar now, 
August 29th, September 3rd, October 3rd, October 6th. No opponents set for those yet, but I'm sure they'll be announced soon. And note that the U.S. Women's National Team will also play two games in November after the conclusion of the end of sales season, but those games will not necessarily feature all the players from the World Cup. And next month in Cary, North Carolina, we've got the second edition of the International Women's Champions Cup or Women's International Champions Cup, Women's ICC, however you want to call it. The tournament this year will feature the Courage, Manchester City from England, Lyon from France, of course, the defending Champions League title holders, and Atletico Madrid, first time the tournament features a team from Spain. All teams will have their full rosters this time around. It doesn't fall on a FIFA date. Um, It's a little closer to the start of the season for the European teams. It should be a much stronger tournament. You can buy tickets on Ticketmaster for the doubleheader on Thursday, August 15th, and or the doubleheader on Sunday, August 18th. And it does look like all four matches will stream live on ESPN+. That's a cheap and easy one to sign up for. Uh, You can actually get a seven-day free trial. So, you know, if you want to sign up for a free trial right before the tournament, that's how it works. Other than that, it's just $5 a month. It's pretty cheap. And this weekend is championship weekend for both semi-pro women's leagues in the U.S. In United Women's Soccer, the Indiana Union faces LA Galaxy OC, I'm assuming that stands for Orange County, in the first semifinal on Saturday. And Calgary Foothills WFC meets Lancaster Inferno in the second semifinal. The winners of those two semis will meet Sunday. Check out uwssoccer.com for more info. And for WPSL, which is really the longest continuously operating women's league uh, that that this country's ever seen, (laughs) Pensacola FC plays Seattle Sounders in the semis Friday night, followed by Motor City FC versus Utah Royals Reserves. And the winner of those two semifinals will play Sunday. For more info, check out WPSLsoccer.com. And note that all six playoff games will stream free and live at mycujo.tv. And that's M-Y-C-U-J-O-O dot TV. And last but not least, if you haven't noticed it already, check out uh, my new Twitter feed. In addition, of course, to Keeper Notes and Mix Zone, it's called Woso Merch. And I'm posting at least one new and different uh Thing that you can buy because you're addicted to Woso like I am every day, whether it's apparel or a collectible or sometimes even tickets. So check out Woso merch. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. Many thanks to people who are listening for the first time. I hope you keep listening. As always, many thanks to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's everybody's girl. Let's go.